Well, good morning to you. It's good to be with you. Yeah, last night Steve mentioned going to uh, San Quentin, and that's uh, always a joy and a highlight for my week, and so grateful when we have the opportunity to do that. Um, there's seems like in this season of my life, there's very little that restores and fills me more than being with the men at San Quentin. It's uh, just such a delight to be with them. Uh, we talked uh, last night a little bit about our first jobs. Do you remember your first job or one of your first jobs? Do you remember what it was like to get your first paycheck, to actually go out and earn something and to enjoy the, the fruit of that work? Maybe the opportunities uh, that it opened up to you? Um, and the responsibilities. I remember some of my very first jobs. I shared with you recently working at the cemetery um, for a, a short time during a summer, uh, just trimming around headstones and things. My, my first probably real ongoing job was at Pizza Hut and uh, started making pizzas and pulling them off the, uh, the oven and cutting and preparing them and, and so forth. I worked a lot at uh, grocery stores uh, in high school and college. Um, I still remember uh, heading... Um, I was in a little small town for my first two years of college, and um, at the last hour, the store was open. I still don't know why it was open, but um, we would uh, be there, and I'd stock shelves, and um, there would be a manager there and me often, and this last hour, uh, almost zero customers, um, and uh, we just had so much uh, to do, but also so much fun together. I remember one night, um, I walked back uh, to an area, and there was a mouse sitting in the middle of the floor in the back room. And I thought, you know, as a good employee, my first obligation was to uh, take care of that and dispose of it properly. But I thought I'd be a little ornery, and so I called my manager. I said, can you come back to the back room? And um, she, she walks back. She thinks there's, you know, some issue or something. And I start talking to her. And I turn around and say, can you tell me what this is? And she just stood there, terrified. And it's like one of those cartoons. Have you ever seen those cartoons where something happens and they start running, but they don't go anywhere? That's exactly what she's doing. She goes, as she stared at this mouse, and, and I started laughing at her, and we, she, she forgave me. That was good. Uh, but these first jobs of having responsibilities and, and the joy of taking um, into the reward of the work uh, that is done. Um, and, you know, we know uh, what it is to, to take more management of things and, and to have... To have the opportunity to take that which has been entrusted to us, and and in our employee relationships, we know that that we're entrusted to do certain things, and there's expectations that we will do them, and there's supervision, and there is accountability that goes with what we do and and why we do it. Uh, we actively engage in our work and responsibility, and we report to to others. Right? It's true in so many areas of our life. It's true in families, uh, children have responsibility for the things to which they're entrusted and they report back to, to their parents. It's true in schools where students are entrusted with certain responsibilities and activities and they report back to their teachers. It's true also in our spiritual lives where we, by God, has been entrusted, He has entrusted to us certain things that He expects of us as we follow Him. And it's about managing what's been entrusted to us, and that is very important to God. Here's a key question for our thought today. Are you ready? While we wait for the return of Jesus, are we being faithful with what we have been entrusted? 
While you wait for the return of Jesus, are you being faithful with the things that God has entrusted to you? How are you faithfully managing your lives? We read this morning in Luke chapter 19. You're welcome to open your Bibles there. Luke chapter 19. And Jesus tells a parable. And we know that a parable is a, a story that's, that's constructed in order to teach a point. The events of the story aren't true, but they, the, the purpose behind it and the principle in it is true. And the reason that he tells this parable at this moment is because there's a question that's on the minds of the people. We've talked about how Jesus, back in Luke chapter 9, there's a transition in the way Luke is describing the life of Jesus. And it describes Jesus as resolutely turning His face, intentionally turning Himself to Jerusalem and and preparing Himself to move down on that journey toward His ultimate purpose. And that would be to die a sacrificial death on a cross. And here's the question on the minds of the people. It says that the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. That the fulfillment of God's kingdom was coming at once. You have in your bulletins this little insert that has this funny little arcing arrow. This is a simple way of understanding and seeing in a picture form the work of God through history. And you have at the beginning of the ark God's work in creation... And then we know that that the fall happened, that that which separates us from God, it creates a blockage in our relationship with God. And then God worked out His own plan because we couldn't fix the problem, so God uh, works out the Redeemer coming. Jesus Himself comes into the the world in order to redeem us, to, to buy us back, to remove the blockage that prevents us from knowing and being with God. And then... The Bible tells the story and and the promise has been given that there will come a day one day when everything will be uh, finally uh, uh, finished. There's a consummation that comes and the, the kingdom of God will come in its fullness. It's here and now, but the fullness is yet to come. The fullness of walking with God and working with uh, and among His people and worshiping Him. And so there's creation and there's fall the separation with God, then there's redemption, what God has done in Jesus, and then what is still yet to come. We live our lives between redemption and consummation. So if you have a pen, you might want to put a little X or some sort of mark between there. uh, Say, you are here. You know those maps at the mall to orient you? You are right there between redemption and the end. And the end is in God's hands. We've talked in recent days about the promise that Jesus will return again to take those who are His sons and daughters to be with Him and His family and at His banquet table forever and ever. Isn't that good news? That's the great promise. That which continues to compel us forward and to help us walk and to to see our lives put in the story of what God is doing. Redemption and consummation. And uh, Acts chapter 1, this, you know, we're not the first people to wonder how long is it going to be or, or is Jesus' promise uh, going to be fulfilled soon or, or when. In Acts chapter 1, after Jesus had been raised from the dead, the, the disciples there were asking the same question. Here they're standing with the resurrected Jesus and their question in Acts 1, six says this. So <clears throat> when they met together, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And here's his response. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority. 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So there's a very clear indication of, as to what we are to focus our lives upon. And Jesus in the parable in Luke chapter 19, he puts us right before the promise of his return. And here's what he says in Luke 19. Jesus, are, are you going to come and restore your kingdom? And is it coming at once? And his response in verse 12 is this. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. A minas, it's a denomination of currency. It's uh, worth about three months of wages. It's, it's not an insignificant amount, but it's certainly not a, a full retirement or anything else. So each of them are given a mina. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for his servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you? That I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I returned, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take this mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who do not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. So, Father, we pray this morning, as we hear this parable, that you would, your Spirit would be stirring our hearts, you would be our teacher and guide this morning, that we would leave here, having heard your voice, guided and directed to you and with you, into your great kingdom's work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here we are. The king will return one day. He says in verse 13, I will come back. And then there's three different interactions that happen. There's three different interactions. The first interaction is the good one. It's the reward. It's, uh, he says in verse 20, that um, uh, the one who comes and says, Here, here's your mina, here's what I did with it, and I, I, you'd entrusted me with this, and, and here's what I did. And the response is one of reward. It's, the response is, well done, good servant. And the description is that you've been trustworthy. You've shown yourself able to be trusted with this, and you did well with that with which I have entrusted to you. Well done. Well done. There's celebration. There's reward. There's rejoicing. That's the response we want. You know, when Jesus comes back, we're all going to stand before Him. 
And we're going to give an accounting of the life that we've lived. And it's not about salvation. It's not about did you do good enough to earn your way into heaven. That's not the question. That's a different question. Because our relationship with God is set in what Jesus has done on the cross. But once we come to the cross and we embrace the person of Jesus and His work of sacrificial death, then there's a life that God desires us to live. And He entrusts us with certain things that that we are to to take and, and incorporate into our lives and to work into His kingdom's work. And He will come one day and, and each of us will stand in front of Him. And uh, it's not something to dread. That I don't think that's the reason that we're given these, these stories about the end times. It's not so that we're fearful or that we're afraid or, or that we dread the coming of the Lord but so that we can look forward to it with rejoicing. There's an anticipation. We talked about this recently. There's an anticipation and an eagerness for the Jesus that we know and love to come so that we can more fully walk with Him and be with Him. So that we can stand before Him and with joy explain and say, look, here's what you entrusted to my life, and here's how I did my best to engage it in your kingdom's work. And we're not going to do it perfectly, of course, but we will give an accounting. And I know all of our hearts desire to hear, well done, good servant. So the first interaction of the returning king is one of reward. But that's not the only interaction. There, there's another reaction, interaction, and it's one of regret. So it's one of reward, and a second one is of regret. In verse 20, um, when that last servant comes and he says, Sir, I, I took what you gave me and I protected it. I wrapped it up. I stowed it away. Here it is, just the way you gave it to me. Do you think a boss at work would be so happy if, if he or she gave you something and trusted some work to you and the next week at the deadline you came back and said, Here it is. Just the way you gave it to me. Of course not. When a parent tells a child, here's what I expect of you. I'm, I'm leaving to the store for an hour. And when I come back, I expect the dishwasher unloaded. I expect your bedroom cleaned. What happens if the parent comes back and the child is sitting with his feet kicked up watching TV and the dishwasher's not done and the bedroom's not cleaned and that which he had been entrusted to do has not been done? Is the parent pleased? Of course not. Is the child full of regret? (laughs) Well, I hope. I hope. But here's the servant. He said, King, you gave me this. And I stowed it away. I didn't lose it. But I did nothing with it. So I think in this response, we have The person who neither valued the gift that was entrusted, nor did he value the giver of that gift. Because the description is really interesting. I I knew you were a hard man. I didn't value you or the gift that you had given me. So even though I didn't lose it, I certainly didn't use it. And part of the question for us this morning is, do you value that which God has entrusted to you? Not that which He's entrusted to other people, But what God has given and entrusted into your life, sometimes out of envy, perhaps we might struggle to value our gift because we might look at someone else and we might say, gosh, I wish 
I had the gifts or the abilities that person has. Look at the acclaim or look, they have something where they have a ministry looking forward or whatever it might be. And you, you may feel that your gift doesn't quite measure up. And so it can be tempting to take that which God has entrusted to you and to wrap it up and to put it away and to say, I really don't have much value in the kingdom of God. What a shame. Sometimes we, out of fear of messing it up, just simple fear. Maybe we've lived a life and we've tasted tasted the bitter fruit of failure. And for fear of messing something up again, we, we take the gift God has and we stow it away because we just don't want to mess it up. And so we do nothing with it. And that's disappointing as well. It's not what God would desire. Perhaps sometimes out of entitlement we, we don't take that which God has given us because we expect God to give us something different. We expect God to give us something more than what He's entrusted to us. And so instead of being responsible and trustworthy with maybe the little we perceive that we have, instead of being responsible with that, we do nothing with it. And therefore, when the interaction comes, it's one of disappointment and regret because we thought we were entitled to something different or something better or something more. Instead of valuing the gift that God entrusts to you, Because God knows you better than anyone else. And God knows how He wants to work through you into His kingdom's work. So, there are three different interactions. There's one of reward and rejoicing. That's the one we all want. Well done, good servant. There's the interaction of regret. Or the one did nothing, neither valued the gift nor the giver. And it's one of great sadness and disappointment. And then there's an even worse one that's an interaction of release. You know, to those who respond consistently when Jesus says, won't you come and and be with me? Won't you come and follow me? The ones who say to that, no way, one day God will say, okay, have it your way. That which those have rejected God throughout their lifetime, they've ratified that through their hearts and during their lifetime, God will for eternity ratify that decision. Okay. For those who say no way to Jesus, eventually God will stand in front of them and He will say, okay. God will not force anyone to come and follow Him into His work and life. Back to our our insert here in the arc of life, creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. We are in between redemption and consummation. And Jesus has entrusted certain things for us And in the blanks here, if you have a pen and want to fill those in, He has entrusted you and me with worship. Can you take and either with your pen, draw an arrow up or just point up. When we think about worship, we're always looking up. You know, it's often when when we hear and see Jesus praying before He blessed and broke the bread that He multiplied, it describes Him as looking up to heaven. I just, I love that. I, I get a sense of just like just wanting to kind of embrace the Father in that moment. And so when we think about worship, we're often looking up and thinking about uh, loving God upwards. It's thinking about our life, our whole life as worship. As we go to work and the way that we dedicate ourselves to the Lord, the way we interact with others as a way of giving and expressing how God is valuable to us. And then it's regularly, of course. He's entrusted us to worship together, regularly gathering. The Scripture says, do not neglect the gathering of yourselves together. The second blank here is God has entrusted us to service. 
He's entrusted us to serve. And if you want to draw a little horizontal arrow, that's sort of the, the outward dimension. Not It's both up to God, but now we are to serve one another. God entrusts spiritual gifts into our lives to meet the needs of the church. And so His community might grow. That's why we're having the plugged-in event. John, thank you for uh, helping us uh, get a better glimpse of what's happening just this next Sunday so that we know what it is to, in a better way, how we can really plug our lives into the work of God in this church so that we can take that which God has entrusted to us and we can prayerfully see the, the opportunities through this church and we can say, God, help me. I, I want to have an interaction of, of reward and rejoicing when you return. So help me take that which you've entrusted to me and, and to put it to good use through the life and ministry of this church. We have, um, we have mercy uh, activities as well, opportunities to serve others with mercy. I want to take a moment and just give you a little update. Um, we've collected um, a few thousand dollars last fall as a church to help fire victims up, up in Sonoma. And we've been working and praying and trying to connect with people, and it's been unusually difficult to find people who... Um, I mean, I've been really blessed, actually. Uh, many people that, that we know through the church um, have not requested help because they've, they're actually in an okay space and they've been wanting us and other uh, people to be able to, to provide for those who have greater need. And so um, just this past uh, Wednesday, I had the opportunity to head up to Santa Rosa and uh, it was really great. I, I had an appointment with somebody through a director of missions of churches up that way. And uh, he had given me the name of someone. We On Wednesday night, actually I went up Thursday. Wednesday night I emailed her just saying, I'm coming up, just confirming our time. And she emailed me back saying, you know, I, I'm so happy to meet with you. My family and I were, even though we have needs, uh, we're actually doing maybe okay. And if there's somebody who has greater need... Um, I just encourage you to find that person. So I called the director of missions again up that way. And he's the one who gave me the, the first name, Kelly. And I said, is there anybody else who's really in perhaps more dire condition? And he sent me right away the name of a woman. And so I went over. Uh, I called her up on my drive up Thursday. I said, I introduced myself. I said, I'm on my way right now to Santa Rosa. And I got your name from, from Bob. And uh, he says that, that you might have some needs. And, and I'm looking to connect on behalf of our church and to see how we might be able to help meet part of your need. And um, so she invited me over to her house. She's a retired school teacher. And her name's Pauline. So if you hear Pauline, it's not assuming it's Pauline Oakey. In fact, I'm talking about someone else. Uh, but she's a retired school teacher, and she's having trouble with her insurance company getting the settlement to rebuild her home. And as I got to uh, hear her need, she's, um, as I'm finding is pretty common, is the people who've lost their homes are still paying the mortgage on a home that no longer exists. So this woman's paying $800, which is great, uh, because she bought the house 20 years ago in Santa Rosa. But she's in a little little one-bedroom rental home, and she's paying $3,000 a month for that. So she's paying both of these at the same time. And this little rental only goes till June. And so uh, some of the gift cards that were given, we uh, were able to give her some of those. And, um, and then we've sent, uh, uh, at least initially, a $500 check to help with uh, some of her rent. We might be able to, to do more down the road. And, um, and here's what's really great is... Um, as I talked to this retired school teacher, Pauline, um, I found out the church she went to. It's a, kind of a larger church up that way. And, and then when I left Pauline, I went to Kelly, the, the woman who said that you know, they, 
they might have some needs, but they're not in dire straits. I went to meet with her and told her about Pauline, the person I had just left, and I found out that the two of them are worshiping at the same church. But um, And when Kelly found out uh, who Pauline was, she said, I think I've been in a Bible study with her. And so she asked for her phone number. I got permission to share Pauline's phone number with Kelly. And about two days later, they both... Uh, communicated with me, saying how much they appreciated the fact that God, through you, and just me being an instrument, um, had actually, they had gotten together, and Kelly um, had met with Pauline, the retired school teacher, and realized how isolated Pauline was feeling, and how very few people that she um, had to share this burden with um, uh, others who had gone through similar situations and how they were so thankful for the work and ministry of this church uh, to be able to see how God was bringing uh, them together and being able to support and encourage each other. I just want you to know that God entrusts us to serve each other when we have the opportunity. We do it through mercy. We do it through the ministries of the church. We do it as we embrace and receive the gifts of the Spirit that God would provide for us in order to, uh, to worship Him in fullness and in truth. Finally, the last fill-in-the-blank there is that God has entrusted you, entrusted us, to call others to the way of Jesus. God has entrusted us to worship. He's entrusted us to serve each other. And then He's called us and entrusted us to call others into the way of Jesus. This is why we group ourselves together in Bible study in small groups, so that we can grow and learn to help each other. We share and, and, and involve and invite people into our lives, and we pray for each other so that we can be encouraged. We uh, are involved in uh, increasingly so, I hope, in disciple-making ministries. This is the life and part of what God has entrusted to us. Because... At the moment when He returns, the trumpet will sound, the Bible says, and the Lord will descend. And when the end is in its fullness and the kingdom is unfolding in front of us in its fullest sense, we will stand, each of us, before the Lord. And we will give an accounting for the things that we have done with that that He has entrusted to us. I pray, and I know that all of us desire for that to be an interaction of reward, certainly not one of regret. Father, we pray this morning that You would help us be engaged, God, in the ministries that You give us. We know we live in a world where there's so many opportunities of entertainment and ways that we can use our time and invest ourselves. And some of it's really good. Not all of it is. And God, we pray that through these days You would help us perhaps reconsider how we are ordering our lives and the things that we give priority attention to and priority time to. And that You would guide us, especially next Sunday, as we, we may see again the ministries of the church or hear anew what those are. And we find ourselves being drawn by You to take that which You've entrusted to us the desires of our hearts, the gifts of Your Spirit, and be able to plug those and integrate those into Your work here through this church for Your kingdom's sake, we pray. Guide us now, because we all want to hear, well done, well done, good servant, with what I have entrusted to You. And we thank You now, Jesus, in Your name and for Your sake. Amen.